Matthew in chapter 12, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I've got good news for you tonight. The kingdom of God is advancing. Whether it's from one salvation to the next or multiple salvations to more multiple salvations, the kingdom of God is still advancing and I praise, I praise Him for that. Matthew chapter 12, 22 through 29. 22 through 29. Beginning in verse 22. Then there was brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb. Who was blind and dumb, and he healed him, so that the dumb man spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and began to say, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And if I by Bezalel cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Consequently, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property? Unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Christ here in our text absolutely, without a doubt, rebukes. The Pharisees, and he does it so brazenly, he just, (laughs) he really makes them look foolish. There's times in Christ's ministry where his responses to the Pharisees are such that that they, they just leave you scratching your head saying, why did they even ask him this in the first place? Because it was so obvious, the answer was so obvious, and Christ really made them kind of eat their words here. Uh, But we're going to look at this tonight, 22 through 29, and this is what I want to ask you. This is what I want to say. We are either part of the kingdom of God. We are either part of the kingdom of God or we are part of the kingdom of Satan. Now you say that's pretty strong words. Well, it's the truth. You're either for him or you're against Him. You're either with the Lord, or you're opposed and an enemy of the Lord. So which one is it? We're either with Him, or we're not. Listen to what verse 22 says. This was a bad, a bad case that this man found himself in. Verse 22. Then there was brought to him a demon-possessed, remember, demon-possessed man, who was blind and dumb, and he healed him, 
so that the dumb man spoke and saw. You'll want to underline blind and dumb, and then you'll want to underline spoke and saw. And there's a reason for that. Because when he first came to Christ, he was blind and dumb. But when he left, he spoke and he did what? He could see. That's right. But before that, this man was possessed by demons. In other words, he was stove up. Now, Friday I had surgery. Saturday morning, I was sore. Sunday, when I preached, after church was over that night, I was stove up. I was hurting. I couldn't hardly raise all the way up because everything just hurt. Well, this man was in a far worse shape. And and let me explain to you. He He was stove up from the ground up. In his sight, he couldn't see. In his speech, he couldn't talk. Now you think about that lot in life for just a moment. You're blind. Everybody just close their eyes for just a second. You're blind. You can't see. Now you can't speak. You can hear everything going on around you. Everybody, let's close your eyes. You can hear everything going on around you, but you can't say nothing about it, and you can't see it. This man was bound up. He was possessed by demons. You can open your eyes. I want you to notice the first thing that we see happening here in verse 22 that I think has to be said. This man was brought to the Savior. Pay attention to what the Word of God says. This man couldn't get himself there. Why? Because he was blind. This man also couldn't do what? Yeah, so I mean, so literally he's a, he's a crazy man. He's, he's doing all these hand gestures, which by this point in his life, he's just like, why would I even do them in his reasoning? This is, this is crazy. I'm possessed. You know, so we see that there's no hope for him. First thing I want you to notice was that this man was brought to the Savior. He was brought to the Savior. He did not come on his own, but rather out of the good of others. They saw his condition. They saw his lot in life. And they said, you know what? We want to help this man. And so we're going to pick him up and we're going to take him to the only one that we know that can help him. It reminds me of another story in the scripture. There were there was four, four good men who made a bed and carried a man. And carried a man to the Savior because, because they knew that if they could just get him there, that Jesus would take care of him. But there were so many fakes at the door and so many people, posers, So many people listening that they couldn't even open the door, so they tear the roof apart and lower this man down on a stretcher because he couldn't do it himself. 
And they brought him to Jesus. As Christians, as Christians, we have a responsibility. And that responsibility is for the gospel of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to be on our lips. If we are for him, then we need to be for him. I don't care if it's Wednesday night. I don't care if it's Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Saturday. I don't care if I'm teaching at the old folks' home on Tuesday morning. They're going to hear about the Savior, Jesus Christ. Our responsibility is to tell them. Our responsibility is to bring them to the Lord. We can't save them. We can't do nothing about that. But we can take them and say, listen, I'm going to tell you about one who can save you. And so before we go any further, we have to see that there was a man that was brought to Jesus. Let me ask you another question. Do you really think that they wanted, maybe wanted to do this? Remember, this man was demon-possessed. Do you think he was maybe just a touch crazy? What does that tell us? What does that show us? It shows me and it shows us that we are probably, if we're going to commit ourselves to do that and bringing people to Christ, get our hands dirty. Because we can't do it behind a desk and we can't do it sitting on our thumbs. We got to do it. This man was brought to Jesus by people that loved. There was a true love there. And it doesn't give us the details here, but there was for them to bring this man bound up to Christ. You know that they had a love there. Our responsibility is to tell the story of Jesus. We can't make them wake up. We can't make them spiritually alive. We can't make them spiritually see or spiritually hear. But we know one that can. And where there's always a problem in our scriptures, we always see but God. We always see the Lord as an option. Listen to what it says according to verse 22. This man was blind. This man was mute. Which is about the worst condition a person can find themselves in. He was demon possessed. He couldn't make his way to Christ. And he certainly couldn't tell anybody what he needed. And in fact, he was under control of the enemy, Satan himself, or the demons. He was under control of this, of this demonic kingdom. He was bound. He needed to be set free. And this is what this passage of Scripture is about, and I hope that you'll pay attention as we get to verse 29, because you're going to see just that. Because our enemy, Satan, he is a powerful, powerful enemy. But there's one much stronger than him. Much stronger that we're going to look at. But God. But God. Jesus came to do what? To bind up the brokenhearted? We know that Scripture teaches us to give sight to the blind, to set free the captive, and to give them a life. And not just a a, a normal life, but in a life that's full of abundance. 
And so you can have that in the kingdom of God. Here Jesus is doing his thing, man, he is. He's doing his thing in verse 22. And it just comes out and says it. I mean, it doesn't even give us an intro to this miracle. It just comes out and says, listen to what it says. Then there was brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb, and he healed him. There's no leading up to this, is there? Point blank, Waylon, there's no leading up to this. It just says, and he healed him. It's kind of like in Genesis when he hung the stars. He created the sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night. Oh, and by the way, he created the stars also. He just throws it in there. Jesus, it was no thing. He was doing what he was called to do. He was setting this. This was a miracle. Cain and the Galilee, remember that? The wild Gadareans, remember those? These were all miracles. Water into wine, walking on water, blind to see, all of these things. Well, don't let the few words take away from or discredit what's actually going on in the text. Because what Jesus is doing is setting this man free. And that's nothing to slight. Verse 23, And all the multitudes were amazed... So obviously they were seeing this. People were seeing this. And the multitudes were amazed and began to say, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? And what's, what's taking place here in 23, after seeing the miracles, the people knew that the son of David or the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ would come and that he would be one that would perform miracles. They knew this and so this is why they say this. They're basically saying... This man can't be the son of God, can he? They're asking the question because they're seeing the miracles. And so they begin to think and the people were amazed. They were in shock. They were in amazement and maybe even a little bit of disbelief. I know a lot of people are in disbelief if something happens. They want to write it off as the doctors or this or that. And we give all glory to God. (laughs) plain and simple. But there were some there that were in disbelief, some that were in amazement, some that were in shock, asking, is this truly the, the son of David, the one that we've been waiting on? That's how the Messiah was known in the Old Testament, the son of David. Because he would come out of the lineage in the, in the household of David. And so when you see that in the Old Testament, they're referring to Christ, the anointed one. Verse 24, it says, listen to what it says. But when the Pharisees heard it, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Look at your neighbor and say, Beelzebul. 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 This is all they got. And I've said this before, this is a terrible comeback. This is an absolute joke, terrible comeback, that this is all the Pharisees have. Let me explain to you why it's so terrible. (laughs) First, because they acknowledge that he actually did the miracles. I mean, how how much more evidence do you need? 
Jesus does the miracles. The Pharisees acknowledge the miracles. And then they say, He can only do this by Satan's power. What? I don't buy it. Don't buy it at all. They believed it. We're going to see where he confronts them at in just a moment. So they acknowledged the miracle but refused to believe who he was. Instead they say he casts out devils by the devil himself. Well, we know that just doesn't work. This is a thin, thin argument. And most of the arguments from the Pharisees to Jesus, and I think it's because Jesus made them look so bad when presented the truth to them, most of the arguments were so thin, you could see right through them. And so Jesus just destroys their comeback. He reduced it to ashes in in two verses. And he made them look bad doing it. I mean, he, he really did. And this is what I love about Christ. You know, the, the person that always has the right answer at the right time, that was Jesus. When I, when I leave a situation, I always think to myself, man, I could have said that so much better. Or man, I would say that again right now, or I would say this, or I would say that. Jesus, he just said it right then. And he brought it out. And he made them look terrible. (laughs) 25 and 26, listen to his rebuttal. Verse 25, it says, Now remember, they say you're casting out demons by the ruler of the demons. 25, and Jesus, and knowing their thoughts, and knowing their thoughts, let me stop, let me stop there for just a minute, just a minute. You know that he knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. This should do a couple of different things for us. First off, it should scare us to death that we serve a holy God. Secondly, it should bring us comfort and joy because He knows when we need Him the most. And so He sees our thoughts. He knows them from afar. There's two sides to that sword, isn't there? He sees the bad, but He also sees the good. Listen to what it says. And knowing their thoughts, he said, to him, he said to them. Listen to what he says to them. Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew their hearts, so he proceeds to address them. And this is what he says. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Jesus, in his wisdom, he answers them with the biggest duh that we see in Scripture. You know what a duh is? It's what I tell my kids when they say something that they should know and I already know. And they're looking at me like, Dad, I'm trying to tell you this. I'm like, duh, really? Come on, guys. I know this. Like my oldest child, Anna, she told me the other day about a country singer and about this song that was out. And I was like, 
And I remember when it debuted and came out as a single. It's been sang by three other people since then. Oh, I didn't know that, Dad. I, I didn't know. I was like, I know the song, baby. I know it. Jesus knew how to address them here. And he does, in fact, do that in his, in his wisdom. And this is what he says. In his wisdom, he gives us the downfall of nations. He gives us the downfall of kingdoms, cities, and even homes. In two verses. There is no other time in America, in our country, like today where we see division and strife. And it's not from without, but from within. And Jesus tells us that something divided against itself will not stand. We are the United States of America. But I'm going to tell you something. Those United States are, are, are drifting further and further apart and we're becoming more divided than ever before. And so the ultimate thing that we see here from what Jesus is saying is that that nation who crumbles from within, just like Rome did, just like all the other great empires, the nations that crumbled, they crumbled because they crumbled from within because of division and because of animosity and hatred towards one another. They crumbled from within. They imploded on themselves. America today is, is divided, without a doubt. Not only the nation, but I want you to listen to the rest of the text. Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city, that means city, that means Jonesville, or house, that means your home, divided against itself shall not Stand. Now, let me talk to that for just a moment. Because it gets real when it gets in the home. When we see it in the nation, we can, we can kind of put it off and say, well, it ain't quite got here yet. We kind of turn a blind eye to it and say, well, you know, it's happening in Texas. That's a good three or four hundred miles. Uh, I can see it there, but not here. But what about the home? When the family structure and the family unit begins to falter and begins to break and crumble, we got a problem. My wife and I were both pretty fiery people. And so we made a commitment. When we got married, that if we fought, we would fight together. We wouldn't leave. If we fought, we would fight together. Because we know how important the family unit is. Because the family unit just doesn't affect 
the marriage, but it also affects the children, and it also affects the church. And so we have to see that not only have there become division in the home and in our society, in our country, but you also see a lot of this in the churches as well, don't we? Well, this one split from this one, and this one split from that one. And it ought not to be named among the children of God. Just shouldn't. Jesus pronounces judgment on this division here in this passage of Scripture, telling us these things, he's telling us that these things will not stand. They will not stand. A kingdom divided against itself, it ain't going to stand, period. Jesus was telling the Pharisees, guys, what you're saying doesn't make a lick of sense. Because your sons are guilty of this, and if your sons are doing this, then what you just said your sons are doing. We'll get to that. Let's let's look at 26. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? Well, the truth is, is that if Satan casts out Satan, and this is what Jesus is being accused of, if Satan casts out Satan, then his kingdom cannot stand, nor can it advance. So the argument here, their argument is pretty thin. Jesus rips them to shreds. There's that duh, duh moment. Satan casts out Satan. He is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? Verse 27. But and if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? He says, if I cast them out by by Satan, by this demonic force, who do your sons cast them out by? He's basically telling them that their sons are doing the same thing. This is uh, pretty harsh words from from the Christ. 27, it says, And if I... By Beelzebul cast out demons. By whom do your sons cast them out? Consequently, they shall be your judges. And he's saying, right back at you. What you're doing to me, right back at you. Because your sons are doing it too. Verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. Listen to me. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. We need to understand this evening that the kingdom of God is upon us. When we see this, when we see this by Satan beginning to be overthrown by the Spirit of God in time, We see it here in the scripture, but we also see it today. One spiritual battle after another. The kingdom of God is encroaching and going into the camp of the enemy to get back those that have been stolen by the enemy. And the kingdom of God is advancing and it is still advancing 
today. One spiritual battle at a time. We know that at Calvary, he took, he took, he took the hill, in other words. At Calvary, he took, the, he took the field. Listen to what verse 29 says. Verse 29. Oh, hold on just a second. Let me read this. Because I want you to see where in Colossians, I read this a lot because it's a powerful verse. Talking about taking it to the enemy, sticking it to him, and, and going into their camp. Colossians 2 and 15, it says, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them. Having triumphed over them through him, and this was done at the cross. The enemies of God, they were put in stocks, put out in front of the city, if you you will, and lettuce was thrown at them. You see what I'm saying? He spoiled them. He made them look terrible. He displayed his authority over them. And he done this at Calvary. Verse 29, listen to what it says. And this is going to tie back into verse 22. And I'm done. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man And then he will plunder his house. Now make no mistake about it, the strong man has a strong home. He would be a fool if he didn't. The strong man has a strong home. He's attached to his possessions and he wishes to keep them. The strong man in our passage of scripture is none other than Satan himself. None other than Satan himself. You pay attention to what I'm fixing to tell you. His house is the world and his possessions are all of those he holds captive. Just like the man in verse 22. He held him captive in verse 22. Remember he was demon possessed? What did Jesus come to do? He came to loose that man from the power of the demon. His desire is to hold you captive. Satan's desire, whether you are for him or against him or whether you know it or not, if you are not for Christ Jesus, you are in that kingdom. You are with him. You can't get around it. You're serving him. And his desire is to keep you. His desire is to hold you captive. His desire is to have you in this world as a possession because His desire ultimately is to kill you. Those that do not know Christ are bound up, living in the shackles and chains of the enemy. But God, being rich in His mercy. But God sent His only begotten Son. This only begotten Son, ladies and gentlemen, was the one that bound up the strong man. (laughs) 
takes a pretty strong man to bind up a strong man, doesn't it? If you're going to bind up a strong man, you need somebody stronger than him, right? Or you ain't fixing to spoil his goods. Plain and simple. Jesus Christ, he was sent to bind up, to tie up, to render useless Satan against us. And he did this to set us free. We were held captive against our will. Well, actually, it would have probably been with our will, knowing that, that we would have served Satan without, without the Lord. But he came to us to set us free. He entered into this world, <clears throat> Satan's dominion, the house that's spoken of in Scripture. He entered into this world and came to Matthew David Merle, a captive, bound by the enemy. And he came to me. And just as he healed the man in verse 22, he healed me. He gave me eyes to see with. Spiritually. He gave me ears to hear with. Spiritually. He gave me a life that's incorruptible. Spiritually. And he did that by first spoiling the strong man. Why? Because he was stronger. Jesus, without a doubt, is stronger than the one that holds on to you right now. That has possession over you. Jesus is stronger than him. And if you're hearing that for the first time tonight, you need to understand that Jesus can take that strong man, He can bind him up, He can cast him under the bed, and He can lead you out free as a bird to set you free from all the bondage and captivity that you've ever been in your entire life. And He can do it. Listen to what it says. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property? Unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. I want you to hear me. And I'm done. Listen to what it says. Spiritually before we are saved, we are bound up, we are mute, we are speechless. We can't even come to Christ. As the man in verse 22 couldn't. Can't even come to him. We are a foreigner to his holiness. Blind to the truth of his wisdom. And who our Savior is. Until he binds up. Until he binds up the strong man. And dethrones that belligerent sucker off His throne, out of our hearts. Until that happens, you're held in captivity. But tonight, He can do that. Tonight, He can set you free. And so the question stands, will you work for the kingdom of God 
or will you work for the kingdom of Satan? That is the question. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray.